man. Cheers for coming on today. How are you? You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Um, basically, now's your chance to sort of introduce yourself for anyone that doesn't um, know who or what you're about. And Well, I yeah, think that, that will there. be a lot of people. <laughs> There'll be quite a few people because I'm not exactly the most famous person in the world. I, uh, my name is Mick West and I run the website metabunk.org. And this is a site for uh, discussing and debunking conspiracy theories. Uh, basically, we try to find things that are wrong in the evidence that supports various conspiracy theories. And then we try to go into detail on those things. And we cover a variety of things where we kind of specialize in the chemtrails conspiracy theory. We also cover 9-11 and various other things like UFOs and whatnot. And we even get into the uh, flat earth discussion sometimes. I saw you um, just debating a guy on UFOs earlier on Twitter. What was going on there? Well, uh, there's a thing in uh, America where the government has just kind of acknowledged the existence of a, a UFO study program that was run a few years ago. And the guys who used to be on that have kind of come out of the woodwork and they've got hired by some former pop star. The guy who was the front man for Blink-182 started a company and... They're trying to promote all this UFO stuff, and so there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk about UFOs at the moment. So I've just been debating the various bits of evidence there. So yeah, we've obviously been um, debating slightly on nine. Well, not slightly. We've been debating quite a lot on nine eleven, going back and forth on certain yeah. uh, stances, and me sending you tweets and you replying, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I kind of wanted your before, obviously we go into sort of a debate and debunking certain things what's your take on uh, what happened on that day are you with the mainstream media story or do you find it a little well, bit iffy i think uh what we saw is what happened uh that i think the planes hit the buildings the buildings were on fire and then the buildings collapsed uh i think you know those most people agree with those those uh, basic facts that planes hit the buildings and the buildings were on fire and the buildings collapsed. Uh, I then think that the buildings collapsed because of the fires and the impact. Uh, and I think that the planes that hit the buildings were the actual planes that were hijacked and the hijackers were uh, Middle Eastern terrorists, essentially. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think probably the broad strokes of the official story are probably correct about who's behind it. But some of the details may not be uh, entirely exactly as they put it. Do you not think like, because I know uh, Bin Laden was the sort of main, um, the you know, the guy that everyone wanted, but he was never, uh, from what I've sort of read and looked into, never wanted by the FBI because there wasn't enough evidence linking him to the 9-11 attacks. Yeah, I think that was just kind of uh, uh, more of a technicality than anything. Like he wasn't um, you know, formally accused of the crime, but he was you know, number one on their most wanted list. So it wasn't as if they didn't want him. It's just uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't officially charged with a specific crime yet because yeah, everybody knew what he'd done. <laughs> it was uh, it was a bit beyond you know accusing people with crimes. It was essentially an act of war, and you know, that's why they were trying to get him. So I don't think yeah that's kind of a almost like. Um, overly words, technical maybe, yeah 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 no no that makes sense to me i mean they, these are things like people can read sort of on the internet and then be like well if bin laden didn't do it like if bin laden wasn't wanted by the fbi then 
he obviously must not have done it. So, yeah, and then they start going down the rabbit hole and looking into more information and you're just kind of thinking, well, hold on a minute, maybe the words have been twisted slightly by the person that's blogging it or writing it on their website. Exactly, exactly. And statement. There's, there's similar things like that in other conspiracy theories, like uh, with the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory, uh, people point out that uh, the deaths at Sandy Hook were not listed on, um, I can't remember which one it is, but the, like one of the FBI uh, reports for crimes in that year, they don't list the Sandy Hook deaths. Uh, but and so they say, oh, they're not listed. Therefore, the entire thing must have been a hoax. Mm. But if you look into it, they're actually listed in another report, and they give a footnote in the first report saying, "For Sandy Hook, look at this." So it's actually all there. But it's you know it's very easy for people to just point to a simple fact, saying, "Oh, look at this line item here. There aren't enough deaths," uh, and then extrapolate from that without you know bothering to do actually actually do any work. People like to glom on to very simple things and use them as evidence when the reality is a bit more complicated. Yeah, I mean, the only um, the issue with the Sandy Hook thing, the only thing I found sort of strange was there was like, obviously, the police tapes were released of them, like when they're in the building and, you know, going around for him and whatever. And uh, there's like a whisper from one of the cops that says like, end the life of Adam, like that. It's like, and then obviously... Yeah. They shoot him and that's it. And I'm kind of thinking, uh, that's a, you know, if you're maybe a conspiracy guy, you think, oh, that's a little bit weird. Why Why do they need to do that? Surely they're just like, there he is, shoot him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's one of those, uh, you hear what you want to hear and things like that. And it's not just that you hear what you want to hear, you hear what you've, what you've been told you're going to hear. Uh, there's a famous video uh, on YouTube well, it's not particularly famous, but it is to me. Uh, it's just Songs of Praise. I don't know if you've ever seen Songs of Praise on TV. You know, it's a Sunday show and they, they go singing in a church. Yeah. And it's the Songs of Praise with sub subtitles. And the subtitles are all changed. So they, it sounds like, you know, you, you read the subtitles and it really sounds like they're saying these things. It's a common trick that people do. You put subtitles on something. And especially with things that are a bit indistinct, mm. if you've got subtitles, it's it sounds to you like they're, they're actually saying that thing, even though they're not, they're saying something else. Like, I, don't, I don't know what it was. Actually, I, we looked into that one years ago, the, the end of life of Adam thing. And you know, there's a variety of other suggestions for what the, the copper might have been saying. Uh, but uh, end the life of Adam doesn't even make any sense. No, it's you true. Know, I mean... cop, cops aren't going to go and say, end the life of Adam. It's like some kind of weird... Uh, Thing you'd see on a cartoon like from you know castle grayskull or something like that it's uh, it just makes no sense yeah i mean um going sort of back to the the 9-11 thing um obviously you said about like i tweeted you saying i don't feel that maybe the planes could have ripped through the steel structure at that speed and also right. about the pilots the john lear being one of them uh, went on camera to say like he took himself and other people into a simulator and none of them could reenact hit in the middle of those towers yeah um, and i sort of wanted to know your take on how that happened what did they just get lucky um you know at those speeds because apparently like the g-force as well going at that speed even if they were like they turned the handle slightly to go in at the angle they did it would have been yeah. horrendous so well not not really because uh you know the g-force is are the same in the upper air as they are in the lower air, and you can do fairly, uh, you know, the, 
pilots do standard rate turns, uh, which are turns where it takes two minutes to go in a circle. Uh, and you don't need much more than that rate of turn to uh, to make adjustments when you're coming up on something as big as the World Trade Center. All they had to do was keep it in the middle of the wind windscreen of the plane, and they just turn to the left, turn to the right, very small adjustments, and then they just keep full throttle towards the end, and they just got to keep keep going. Now the planes aren't designed to go that fast uh, at that low altitude, and it would be very bad for the airframe. And it might even get very bumpy and difficult to control. But you know, the thing about the plane is that it's going very fast in that direction. It takes a little bit for it to go to one side or the other. So even though you know the controls don't work very well, once you've got lined up, you don't really need very much to keep it lined up. It's like if you're going very, very fast in a truck down a road. Uh, it takes quite a bit to actually make it, uh, you know, it might not be the best example because trucks would go off the road, but uh, <laughs> with a plane, uh, it's got a lot of inertia to keep it going forward. And it's not its not like a like a, a jet fighter where it can kind of go zoop, zoop, zoop from one side to the other. Uh, so I don't think it was particularly hard to uh, fly into the towers. I tried it myself in, in flight simulators. Uh, I don't have a very good flight simulator. I actually just downloaded one the other night, but it's not that hard to, even when you're going very, very fast and you're a fairly accurate representation, you can fly into the towers. And then the other thing about the the hole, we kind of discussed that uh, on Twitter, but uh, things that are going very, very fast can actually punch through things that are more, that are stronger than they are. Mm. Uh, there's a classic example of uh, the ping pong ball going through a ping pong paddle, like a table tennis ball going through a table tennis paddle. If it's going fast enough, it'll just punch straight through it. Uh, it has to be going pretty fast, like 500 to 1,000 miles an hour. But uh, you know, a, a ping pong table tennis paddle is a lot stronger than a ping pong ball. And yet, if it's going fast enough, it will go through it. Yeah, I mean, the problem I like had with sort of that answer is obviously we can. We, I could say, oh yeah, the different materials, so different outcomes, you know, still stronger than wood and whatever, so I'll scrap all of right. that part. But the plane, like, going at that speed at that altitude, they're so, um, I saw, like, a test being done on, because uh, obviously, like, engineers, when the planes are being built, they put them through, like, rigorous testing at speeds. And um, the plane that was in there going at that speed when they tested it, like the parts started to rip away, if that makes sense. So like the, the mm -hmm. speed it was going to, like the wings started to come back, little bits started to come off. Um, the front of the nose, like I, I'm really bad with remembering all the parts of a plane, but the front of the nose has like a sheet sort of on top of it that would peel off. Yeah. And so that led to me to thinking, oh, well, those planes, when they're coming in at that speed, it couldn't happen because the p bits of the plane would be ripping off as it's going that quick sort of into those towers. Yeah, well, I'd be interested to know what uh, what that test was because, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't seem very likely that, you know, exceeding the speed by a, a, a significant amount is going to make, you know, the nose rip off a plane. The things have a, a margin of safety that's quite large. If it was trying to do maneuvers uh, at a low altitude at a very high speed, then that would probably be a problem. But just flying along uh, shouldn't be a problem. Even at that 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 high speed, you know, planes, you know, that it was obviously operating right at the edge of its capabilities, uh, but you know, they weren't trying to do anything other than fly into a building. So even if bits were falling off it, it wouldn't have mattered. But you know, as we saw, like things didn't 
didn't actually fall off. Yeah, I mean, obviously we said about like the nose as well when it went into the tower. Obviously, I linked you that video and a few other videos, right. which, um, you know, your reply was your reply. Um, and obviously, <laughs> a guy called Ace Baker, I don't know how well trusted he is, so I'm not going to say, you know, take it like gospel truth, but he lined up, he basically had cut the nose of the plane before it had entered and lined it up mm -hmm. with the image that you could see coming out. And they were yeah, like, I've seen identical. That. So I was thinking to myself, well, how is that possible? Obviously, if it's puncturing through and then right. we added more to the conspiracy on that side of things was later on the mainstream media used like big fox news banners and stuff to cover up sort of the the nose end coming out and i was thinking well why are they why have they covered it up if it's nothing to worry about well what, what you're seeing coming out is just the basically the explosion on the other side and you can actually see this if you look at all of the footage uh, of the plane hitting the second tower uh, there's quite a bit of it. There's, there's quite a few different camera angles and some photographs. And you can see the shape of the, basically, is this the leading edge of the fireball coming out the other side. And, you know, it's, it's kind of in 3D, so you've got to imagine it looking at it from the other side. But what you're seeing there, it's, you know, I, I hate to, to, like, appeal to coincidences, but this one really was a coincidence. It just happened to look similar to the, the nose of the plane on the other side. And if you actually take them side by side, there's not a lot there. There's like, you know, it's like a little little lump with a bit sticking out. So there's like the nose and then the, the, the cockpit shape. Uh, and it doesn't take very much to get something that looks similar to that. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's just a coincidence. It's just the, just the explosion on the other side. And, you know, it, I, I, I'd really don't understand what would be, how, how would that even work? You know, when you say the nose came out of the other side, what do people think is actually going on there? Do they think it actually went through the entire building without getting damaged and then turned to smoke? Or are people suggesting that the, the video itself was faked? Yeah, I mean, obviously I've watched many different conspiracy theories on it, going from no planes to energy weapons to thermite. So, you know, right. I, I like to entertain all of them and then kind of form my own conclusion on that. And I think mm -hmm. for that one, uh, what people are suggesting that conspiracy theory is that the video that was shown there was like a CGI video of the plane coming in. And what they'd done is they'd like fucked it up basically and they hadn't edited. Um, right. I can't remember what it is. It's like the split down the screen and they'd got it off center slightly. So it didn't yeah, come yeah. a bit of the nose. I'm not so they think that... It well, the, you know, the, the obvious problem with the no plane theory is that New York has, uh, you know, what, like six million people in it. Uh, and a very large percentage of those people were watching on that day. So if you've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people uh, looking up at the Twin Towers and they're, they're seeing what happened, and then if later you're going to show them a video that looks different to what actually happened, it's just not going to work. There's no way, no way it could possibly help to take video. Uh, there was lots of independent individual people who were taking video of the, of the plane, of the towers, and some of those videos show uh, the second plane hitting. So the idea that you know, the broadcast TV coverage was faked 
just doesn't stand up to any scrutiny because there's, it's literally impossible for it to uh, be fake and to convince you know, hundreds of thousands of people plus the people who were there taking their own video. It just wouldn't work. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's always been my sort of issue with the, the no plane theory is that there have been people that have come out and obviously said, yeah, we saw the plane going in. They, you know, and it come down and it hit and we've got it on video and et cetera, et cetera. So for that, you have to believe like a lot of people are in on the conspiracy. And obviously, yeah, and then the... Yeah, go on, you, you a, carry on. Sorry, that it's like uh, you see the plane-shaped hole. You see things like the engine coming out the other side and landing on the street. You know, people uh, will obviously continue to point to things that they find confusing, like, uh, you know, why is it such, why did it leave a nice neat hole like this? And uh, why uh, why does this engine not look like a jet engine? Things like that. But these things, if you look into them, they've all got reasonable explanations. Uh, and it's just, but people, people prefer to pick... Uh, evidence that they think supports their own theory they don't want to you know if someone believes that there was no plane then they're going to be very very skeptical of uh, you know the actual evidence yeah i mean obviously with the the engine flying out um i think uh, this is like so bad for <clears throat> bad on my part for not fully researching it but the um the engine that they found on the street wasn't uh, was apparently the wrong engine for the plane that hit the tower yeah it then... wasn't there it wasn't like I did, we did a whole bunch of research on on that one and found like the you know the exact type of engine and we found some uh, photos and video of the type of that engine being put together and the way jet engines are built is they're kind of like a essentially a series of tubes one within the other the central drive shaft and then there's all the uh, turbines and things that go around them and then there's there's rings and things attached to those and then something's attached to that and then there's the external thing and then there's the big fan that goes on the front and then there's the big canopy that envelops the whole thing so there's all these layers of the engine so when people think of these jet engines they think of these things that look like a small a small van size thing mm. uh, but the, the core part of the engine is is a lot smaller than that and that's what you saw actually on the street. It was the middle bit of the engine, uh, and it was actually the back part of the engine. It wasn't even the whole engine. It was like the middle bit of the back part of the engine. It was the uh, the turbine uh, section, which is the thing that drives the drive shaft. So you know, it's it was hard for people initially to link that. You know, crushed kind of weird looking thing on the ground to these big beautiful jet engines mm. because it was just this this bit of the engine. It had been through a lot obviously it had gone through the building and probably hit a bunch of things on the way through and most of it had been stripped away but it, it did match and you can look it up if you want it's on Metabank the Murray Street engine. Yeah I mean also I'm sure probably people think oh well different planes that must mean all like the engines are created differently for each different plane when and they're like totally different looking things, but I'm sure like even if you look at car engines, obviously they they've got their similarities. They all have, you know, the same sort of structure, just the different logo on the front. So I'm sure that kind of applies to planes in a sense. Is like not each individual plane has a specific sort of engine. Yeah, they they do. Um, they do. Planes do generally have a couple of engines, at least. Well, usually at least one, obviously, <laughs> engine that, that will work with them. Quite often, it's interchangeable with different engines. 
but you know this engine like it had there was a specific part i think it was the called the moby duct which is uh just this part of the engine that they thought was 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 look looking wrong because uh, they found two different pictures of one of this version and one of another one but if you look into it the pictures they were showing weren't pictures of the same thing one was like the base of the thing and the other was the thing that goes on top of it yeah. uh but you know this these the details like that are a little hard for your average person to research because this is stuff you have to dig into like boeing maintenance manuals which aren't generally uh freely available so it's it's quite easy for people to make claims uh, and say you know this is the wrong part when it actually was it was it was the it was the right part so obviously I sent you um, a couple of videos on Twitter about sort of the physics side of it and that guy doing the experiments on the uh, sort of the force behind the motion and how, um, right. you know, it just fell with no deacceleration and he showed like a little chart um, and like the 15 towers wouldn't have been, the 15 stories or however many stories above wouldn't have been strong enough to mm -hmm. uh, blow out the ones below. And then disintegrate yeah. itself. What's your sort of take on that and sort of explanation for that? Well, I think he's not really looking at the way the towers uh, actually collapsed. Uh, like once, once the top part of the building started to fall, uh, it was obviously no longer being supported by the lower part. Now you kind of think of uh, the towers as being like a series of floors, one stacked on top of the other, and one floor is supporting you know, the floor above it, and that, that supports the floor above that. But that's not really the way it works. Uh, the building is really a series of columns with the floors attached to the columns. The, everything is being supported by the columns. The floors themselves can hardly support anything. So when something falls on a floor, like something that is horizontal, uh, it can really support very, very little weight since the almost the entire weight of the building is carried by the columns, if those columns were to suddenly like not be lined up with a column underneath, and instead being like twisted over and then they fall down this way, they're falling onto a floor. Mm. Now the floor is only loosely, not well, not loosely, it's very strongly, but relatively speaking, it's attached to the, the column. And when something falls on the floor, it gets stripped away from the column. And because there's so little force relatively speaking that's needed to actually uh, remove the floors once things start falling through the floors there's just no way of stopping it if things were falling on the columns themselves then yeah the argument would make sense like you know the building is is supporting the building above mm -hmm. but once that's no longer lined up with the columns that's completely irrelevant the supporting force of the lower building is completely irrelevant because all it's falling through now is the floors and once the floors get stripped away from the columns, then the columns lose all of their sideways support and they become very vulnerable to slight sideways pressures. And the columns themselves, they were just kind of loosely welded together. They're, they're like the very, very strong things, the, the, the core columns. I'm sure you've looked at them. Mm. So some of them are like three-inch thick steel, four-inch thick steel boxes. Uh, and these incredibly strong things obviously can support like thousands of tons uh, but they basically just placed one on top of the other, and then they were just welded with a line weld uh, along the seam on either side. They weren't even welded on the short ends. They were just welded along the long end. Uh, and they, they weren't even welded like that, basically for alignment. They didn't actually anticipate any need for uh, the columns to be strong from the side. 
Yeah, so what happened when the floors got stripped on one of the small sideways forces was able to snap those welds and the columns fell down. You've probably seen in the pile uh, these pristine-looking core columns, and you see the ends of them are just you know they're just square, yeah, uh, because they're just basically snapped off. Yeah, they've just they've just been they've been snapped off. They haven't. Uh, there's very few of the columns actually got twisted. Uh, there's the ones obviously are in the initial collapse area uh, got you know mangled up, but once the building started to fall, things were basically just snapping off and falling as these straight things. It looks like a bunch of straight sticks lying on the ground. Yeah, I mean, um, I was literally kind of answered my, my second bit, anyways, because I was going to say to you, obviously, with the top of the um, columns doing what they did and then kind of landing and pushing the floors out which would explain the explosions coming out the side because of the amount of pressure coming down um, yeah but i was thinking like how did these steel columns like collapse from that high all the way down to the ground if the pressure that's meant to be pushing down yeah. to help them collapse is slanted off onto the floors instead yeah it's very interesting uh if you look at um I think Tower One shows it best, but once the all the floors have collapsed all the way down to the ground, excuse me, then uh, half of the core of the building, the core column, is actually still there, and it stays there for quite a while longer, like about another ten, fifteen seconds or so, and you you see these uh, these core columns going nearly halfway up the the side of the building. Uh, the, in the interior of the building, and they take a while to collapse. They're not actually collapsing because things are falling on them from above. They're collapsing because all the floors have been stripped away from them. A lot of the, the horizontal beams between them have also been stripped away. And then when the, uh, the, all the, the, the main uh, collapse hits the ground, it has to spread out. When it hits the ground, it all falls down, spreads out, which means it puts pressure on the bottom of the columns and they fail down there, somewhere down near the bottom, and then it kind of falls into itself in actually kind of a similar way to the way World Trade Center 7 collapsed, so that the core column actually collapses from the bottom down. You know, the building, of course, collapses from the top down, because mm. it's just this boom, 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 all the way down. But then the core, the half of the core that's still remaining, collapses from the bottom down because it fails because of the uh, uh, slender column buckling which is when the things get stripped away. It doesn't have enough support from the sides, so snaps, falls down. Yeah, I mean, with um, World Trade Center 7, I think they've just done, um, oh, I can't remember them, the company, the university or whatever, but they've just yes. uh, proven... Alaska. Yeah, they've just proven that it wasn't for, uh, it didn't fall due to structure fire. Uh, the, the well, they they, the they claim that they proved that. Yeah, they claim that they proved that, but they haven't actually released uh, their study yet. And they did release. It wasn't really uh, very good. It was very confusing. Like they they were comparing numbers, uh, which didn't make any sense. Like he was saying, you know, in in the NIST report, the column moved this way relative to the uh, column you know the the beam moved this way relative to the column but in our simulation uh, everything moved two inches in the other direction and so it wouldn't have failed but you know it's, it, it's very confusing because he's comparing the wrong things it's like he's comparing global motion against local motion 
and he doesn't really give any detail as to how he got these these figures or you know what what he did. So you know, I'm waiting for the actual report to be released. They say they're going to release a draft report in uh, in February or March, and we'll we'll look at that then. But there was a lot of problems with his initial presentation, so I, I really don't think they can say that they've proved it. They can say that that's what they think, but they really haven't proved it yet. No, yeah, I mean, obviously, my concern with uh, World Trade Center 7 is that the uh, BBC, obviously, here in England, reported it 20 minutes or so before it actually collapsed. Mm -hmm. And yeah. no, no plane or anything went into the building. And obviously, the conspiracy theory here is that, like, plane 93 that got shot down was meant to be the one that hit the Solomon Brothers World Trade Center 7 building. Obviously, it got shot down, so... They just collapsed the building sort of into its own footprint, um, you know, without sort of the assistance of fire or anything like that. I mean, there, is, there, had, there was fire, there's got to have been, because I think in photos of the building beforehand, before it collapsed, you could see like scorch marks on the, the sides of the building. Yeah, well, it's not just that it was scorch marks, there was uh, yeah, raging fires going on. There was an entire uh, floor that was completely involved in fire. Like if they have shots through the window and it's just like, you know, it's an inferno in there. So it wasn't like it was just a few little fires. And if you look at the south side of the building, uh, you know, when, when you look at the, the famous video of the building uh, falling, you know, it just goes down behind this other building, uh, you're looking at the north side. Now, the other side of the building, the south side, is the side that faced uh, the World Trade Center towers. And you just behind that, there would have been World Trade Center 1. And when World Trade Center 1 fell down, it actually broke most of the windows on the south side of the tower of, of the World Trade Center 7. It also gouged out a large chunk of the uh, southwest corner. And, and it, it's hard to tell because of all the smoke, but it looks like it actually took out one of the exterior columns in the middle of the south side of the building. And the building was basically on fire like um, since World Trade Center 1 collapsed and a pretty big fire. Like this, If you look at the south side pictures, which I encourage you to do, you'll see these you know, smoke coming from the entire south side of the building. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't look like much if you just focus on like, you know, uh, one or two pictures from the north side, but uh, there was a lot of fire there. It wasn't on every floor. It wasn't as big a fire as the World Trade Center 1 and 2 was, but it was uh, it was a lot of fire and it was fully involved and uh, it was uh, Oh, you've broken up a little bit <laughs> the Sorry, uh, am I back yet? Can you hear me yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you, yep yeah. Alright, uh, terrible internet connection because I'm out in the country uh, uh, right, so yeah, the, the BBC they you know they pre-announced that the building was going to fall, but they'd been pe people have been talking about it on the news about it collapsing for like over an hour before that as well because the the firemen had uh, told people that they thought that it might collapse, and some of them had told them that they thought it was probably going to collapse, and the firemen and you know they pulled back uh, from. World Trade Center 7 because they thought there was a danger of it collapsing so they didn't fight the fires anymore and then it eventually it did collapse so the fact that they announced it ahead of time was really just kind of like you know kind of a Chinese whispers type thing they were told oh we're told that building 7 might collapse what building 7's collapse building 7's collapse let's announce it so you know so this goes from it's probably going to collapse to it has collapsed 
because they could be talking about World Trade Center 1 has collapsed. It has collapsed. Yeah. World, Trade Center, World Trade Center 7 might collapse. And then it's a very understandable mistake for people to make in a chaotic uh, news situation like that. If people had no idea what was going on and they just, you know, they, they didn't know what Building 7 was. No one had ever heard of Building 7 before that day. Yeah. So they were told that another building might collapse. And then that's just gotten mangled around. And, uh, uh, you know, the reporter there she didn't she didn't announce it herself she didn't know that uh she didn't know that it had collapsed obviously it was there behind her mm. she was just reading what someone had uh, told her or some you know what someone yeah, had passed around on a piece of paper yeah i mean so. that sort of makes sense as well because they want to release um news bbc news they all want to release the story first you know they want to be first yeah the button. so if they get a whiff of something that could have potentially happened in a chaotic situation they're more than likely going to release it because then they're the first first source on the on the case yeah and at that stage nothing had happened for a while so they've just been talking over the same things for uh uh yeah, a couple of hours you know obviously things were happening it was the recovery and uh, rescue efforts that they were trying to do but you know nothing major had happened you got these two huge events and then all they could do is talk about those events so i, I guess they kind of leapt at the chance to talk about some some other event another building collapsing so um obviously with in the sense of like the fire taking down um world trade center seven um we had over in the uk something called grenfell tower which i don't know whether you mm -hmm. would have heard of it over, over yeah no it's pretty it's pretty famous over here too and obviously it had like cladding all up the sides of the buildings mm -hmm. and the fire was you know ridiculous and uh but that like never collapsed due to due to fire and you know on that on 9-11 you had obviously the, those three buildings collapsed due to mm -hmm. i mean obviously you had the planes go into uh one and two but you know, fundamentally, those three buildings collapsed due to the fire. Um, right. And, and yet it hasn't happened since or before that I can find anyways. Maybe you've found something because I know a lot of conspiracy theorists yeah. say, well, on that day, three buildings fell due to fire and uh, it's never happened since and never happened before. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Well, yeah, the big thing about it never happening before, you know, we never had uh, we never had buildings uh <laughs> being flown into by by jet planes before mm. this is the, the first time that uh, i thought actually i think there's there was a block, block of flats in holland that uh, got flown into by jet plane but that pretty much collapsed as well uh but we never had anything on this scale before so it's not like there were just you know some fires randomly happening and then the buildings fell down there was these very big events the planes flying into the building so really the the one thing that people do get uh, confused about is Building 7. You know, the, yeah. There was a fire and it collapsed. Why was that? Uh, and there's two main reasons, really. One is that the fire wasn't fought and there, weren't, there wasn't water and there weren't, uh, the sprinklers weren't operating. So basically, this fire was just uh, able to run unchecked. But you know, that's also happened in other buildings. So you look at the uh, uh, First Interstate Bank building in, in Los Angeles, uh, that building didn't have sprinklers installed and the firemen had a hard time getting up to the fire. And so the fire did actually burn unchecked for a while. So the difference here is in the construction of the building. Uh, there's two aspects. Uh, one is that a lot of these buildings are concrete buildings, like Greenfell uh, wasn't uh, steel framed. It was uh, steel reinforced concrete and the concrete protects the uh, steel from the fire. 
and provides a lot of uh, actual support strength itself. The other thing is the size of the spans. Now, the span is a distance between columns. And the longer a span is, then the more vulnerable a building is to collapse. And World Trade Center 7 had a kind of a very unusual uh, design because it was built over another building. There was a, a, an electric uh, substation there, like a bunch of transformers. And they had to build this office building over the top of it. So it had all this, it was a weird shape. And it had these, these weird truss structures at the bottom. And then the actual layout of the columns was kind of weird as well. There's this one set of columns over one side that's really far away from any of the walls. Uh, it's the columns 79, 80, and 81. And they're all a long way from the walls. So you've got these very long spans uh, of uh, girders. Uh, and because they're a lot longer, when they heat up and when they, they, they expand, they will expand more than a short girder will. And so it's much more prone to pushing things uh, off their connections. And so if you compare the actual layout of the buildings, they're very different. Greenfell, uh, especially, is you know, very short distances, you know, relatively speaking, between uh, the columns and, and the walls. So it's a completely different kettle of fish, really. And even the buildings that are similar, like the First Interstate Bank, uh, are still very different in their construction. And they had a, a much more regular uh, uh, layout in which everything was at right angles rather than uh, at strange angles. You know, the uh, World Trade Center 7 was this trapezoid shape, so you know, there was, everything was at weird angles. So they were very different buildings. So you can't really compare them. There hasn't been a building like World Trade Center 7 that has caught fire and collapsed. There has been one uh, collapse of a moderately high-rise building, which is uh, in Iran uh, earlier this year. There was a building called the Plasco Building, which collapsed due to fire. Mm. And so it shows it, it can uh, sort of be done. <laughs> it can, but uh, now the conspiracy theorists are saying that that was probably uh, done with nanothermite too, which is a bit odd when you think about it. You know, there's this one set of buildings done in 2001 with nanothermite and then one obscure office building in Iran, uh, you know, 16 years later. Yeah, to try and stop yeah, the I mean, conspiracy theories, yeah. you know, to throw us off. Keep, give us a little sniff still, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but now they all, all the things you see in uh, World Trade Center, the World Trade Center collapses, get mirrored in this this thing in, in Plasco, in Iran. Uh, you see these ejections of material as the floors get compressed, and then the, the fires uh, kept burning for a few days afterwards, and you see what looks like you know molten metal uh, being removed from uh, from the rubble pile. So these things that look like the same evidence that was in uh, the World Trade Center collapses appears in this Plasco collapse. So, you know, if you're conspiratorially minded, you'll probably think that that means that the entire thing was staged to make it look like the World Trade Center was a regular collapse. Mm. Uh, but the more sensible explanation is that buildings do sometimes collapse from fires and these events like the ejections and the the rapid onset and the uh, the glowing debris that comes out of the pile these are just things that happen when a building catches fire and uh, and collapses yeah because that's so weird that you brought the molten metal up because that was going to be sort of my next point that it was found around the site and like down the roads um and it wasn't taken into account by the commission report the molten metal so What's your sort of mm -hmm. take on that? Well, I think when you talk about down the roads, uh, you're probably talking about the cars. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and the, the molten metal there is the uh, aluminium wheels, uh, which melt at a much lower temperature. You see it in forest fires. Uh, we, we've been having a lot of, I'm, I'm in California here, and there's been a lot of really bad forest fires, and you see this type of thing all the time there. People leave their car in the road outside the house. When they come back, the house is destroyed, and the car is burnt out, and the wheels are in little puddles. The steel of the car doesn't melt, because steel has a much higher melting point than aluminium. But the wheels themselves, not all wheels are made of aluminium, but if, if the wheels are made of aluminium, then they melt. Uh, and that's what happened in the World Trade Center, uh, the World Trade Center disaster. There was uh, a lot of cars caught fire just because there was falling, burning debris. Um, and so that's, you know, when you see along the streets, molten metal. That's the actual molten metal that you do see. Now, the other molten metal is just eyewitness reports of molten metal. There wasn't actually any molten metal, like liquid metal, ever shown or found uh, in the World Trade Center sites. People said they saw things, mm. but we don't know exactly what they saw. People say, oh, I saw a river of molten steel, and they're talking about something that was uh, like you know, a week or so after the actual collapse. Now, there's no way that molten steel could stay molten that long, especially not in the form of a river. You know, if you think like you, you melt some steel and you pour it out into a, a pool somewhere, it starts to solidify almost straight away. It'll form a skin you know, almost straight away because it because it has such a high melting point that means it actually cools down very fast because the, the hotter something is the quicker it falls off that uh, that temperature because it's radiating heat like crazy you know it's, it's white hot it's, it's red hot you know it's red hot because it's the heat is coming out in the form of radiation it's just shining away from it so it cools down a lot quicker if it's really hot so molten steel starts to solidify very rapidly so what people saw probably wasn't actually molten steel. There are a lot of other things that melt, like, like lead and uh, aluminium and even glass. Yeah. Uh, they, can, they, can, they, they all glow red when they're in a fire and they're flowing. So if, you, if you're underground and you're in some kind of like, you know, furnace burning really hard situation, like you're in a, you know, a, a small area that's just burning really, really rapidly, uh, you could see something that was actually looked molten, or you could just see st people. People look at things that are just glowing red, and they say, "Oh, look, molten metal," <laughs> just because it's red hot, because you know they just use that term kind of loosely. They don't actually mean the liquid form. They talk about like you know red hot stuff, and steel glows red in the dark at a relatively low temperature. I don't know if you ever played around with steel in a fire, like heating yeah. up a poker or something. No, but. Yeah, if, if you heat up a poker in a fire, uh, it might look like it's uh, not glowing, but then you turn the lights off and it's actually glowing red. So things uh, can look look very different depending on the actual situation. Have you heard of um, Dr. Judy Wood's sort of theory on what's what happened um, with 9-11? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's... What's your take on that with the free energy weapon? And obviously she shows like cars that have been burnt, but yet people right. are around it and they're not bothered by any heat papers still there yeah it's it's, it's nonsense uh like this has actually come up in the forest fires over here people are saying that the people's houses have been destroyed by directed energy weapons and they're saying it you know kind of for the same reason that the architects and engineers for 9-11 and truth have had to embrace the plasco collapse as being an anothermite driven collapse 
like because you got the same evidence you have a car that's burnt with the wheels melted and then you have a tree next to it that seems like it's untouched uh, but that's just the way fire works you can burn something and something that's relatively nearby can be untouched like i i have a wood fire in my house i, I burn things uh, every day and it gets really really hot in the fire and yet the things in the room don't burn and they're just like you know 20 inches away so you know i can have yeah, a bunch of newspaper next to my fireplace and it doesn't burst into flame just because I have this uh, incredibly hot fire with these glowing uh, coals on the fire. Uh, fire just doesn't uh, doesn't work like that. It's not, you know, if you light a match, it doesn't immediately ignite everything in the room on fire. Uh, so I think, you know, and her idea about things being destroyed from space doesn't, or whatever, it doesn't really make any sense because... Uh, the top of the building, if it was from space, the top of the building would block any uh, directed energy weapon from hitting the area that needed to explode. Uh, whatever's destroying the building is destroying it from the inside, not from the outside. Yeah, I mean, um, the only sort of, like, there's a couple of parts that I've, I've entertained slightly, and uh, one of them she said about, um, like, buildings of smaller sizes showing up on the Richter scale, but yet... Yeah, when the towers fell, they barely even blipped on the Richter scale, and she showed the data in the graphs. Um, and she said that much like that kind of shows that as the building went down, it was turned into ash, rather turn into whatever you want to call it. And that's why I linked you that video of that steel beam turned into ash, and then you said, "Oh, it's just yeah. dust on it." But um, it, obviously, it didn't show up on the Richter scale when buildings that are of a smaller size have so. She was like using that to kind of back her point. Well, uh, it kind of depends how the building actually hits the ground. Like the World Trade Center 7, it's not as if somebody picks up the building and then dropped it on the ground so it went bang on the ground. Mm -hmm. It just basically collapsed in a wave of rubble. Uh, so it, it did actually show up uh, on seismographs. Uh, you can see the impact. And if you actually do an energy calculation, of you know what would it take to make this like it was like a 3.4 earthquake or something uh the actual amount of energy in a 3.4 earthquake is about the same as you would expect it's in the same ballpark so these other buildings that she's showing with uh seismographs you know i i don't actually know wh where they came from like she could have been something with a seismograph that was a lot closer to the building or it could have been a type of building when when they collapsed it they used uh, explosives uh, to and then the explosives are what's showing up, or they could have collapsed it in such a way that it fell over to one side, and then when it hit the ground, that showed up more. But yeah, the the actual seismograph recordings of World Trade Center Seven do actually show an impact, uh, and they it's consistent with the actual amount of energy in the building. It's really interesting, like um, just kind of going off on a tangent, but like how our views how you look at something from sort of your side of the fence and go well she's saying it's a conspiracy let's have a look at all the data that she's showing and where she's getting it from and then sort of my side of the fence where i'm like yeah oh, she's showing me alternative information you know maybe maybe it's true and i think that's how sometimes people can get sucked into that rabbit hole of this person's qualified they're not gonna maybe lie about the graphs or just slightly manipulate it so and then i don't try and debunk 
Dr. Judy Wood because I'm just kind of taking what she's saying as the truth because she's far more qualified than me when she might be spouting shit, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you probably would have a similar argument about the things that architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth say because they're a bunch of architects and engineers, then what they say is probably correct. And so you might give their, well, they say a lot of weight, mm. but they say that they say that Judy Woods is full of shit. <laughs> so <laughs> which expert are you going to pick? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously there was like 1,700 plus architects and engineers that are part of this sort of 9-11 truth movement. And I think it's growing sort of, yeah. you know, monthly. well, there's, there's about 3 million that are not. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that you can find a very small percentage of any profession to uh, support, you know, some weird theory within that profession doesn't really mean very much. Mm. Uh, people, you know, it's, it's a shame that we don't have some kind of architects and engineers uh, for 9-11 reality. But when you approach architects and engineers, they just think it's ridiculous. Yeah. Which I, mean, I think, you know, it sounds very disappointing if you're actually a, a truther, uh, because, you know, for, from your perspective, like you, you think it's all very reasonable and you think that you've got science on your side. And then you talk to someone like an engineer uh, who actually you know, knows the physics behind it. And then that's just they just think it's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, and you know, I think that can be very off putting for people. And so then the, you start to think well why is the engineer saying this they must have got to him like or he must be worried about losing his job uh when really he just thinks it's ridiculous and to be honest he's not entertaining it yeah well to to obviously back up sort of that sort of statement you said you know there's three million roughly that don't believe in the truth movement so to an extent or don't speak out about the truth movement yeah. so to an extent they're probably the reality guys so yeah <laughs> Um, probably but you know obviously there's an argument that they just say you know they're, they're worried about losing their jobs yeah, they're, they're which doesn't really make the, any sense because there's this the conspiracy yeah <laughs> it's there's there's lots of them are retired there's lots of them don't have families and they're not members of architects and engineers for 9-11 truth because they still think it's ridiculous and really there aren't very many people in a 9-11 who are really qualified if any you know, there aren't people who design uh, skyscrapers with uh, actual analysis of how the skyscraper would actually collapse if a certain thing happened. Nobody in architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth has that expertise. And the people that do have that expertise all think that the controlled demolition theory is just ridiculous. So what's your take on the uh, the engineer that built the tower? Obviously, he said that the towers were built to sort of withstand multiple jetliners. Mm -hmm. They took that into account when building it. And then yeah. they also took into account the the biggest jetliner at the time. I can't remember what it was. Um, and they loaded Seven, it with... 757, I think. Yeah, they loaded it with loads of gear to make it heavier. Like So they they accounted for planes maybe being a bit bigger later on. So they built it to withstand sort of that plane and maybe a bit larger. And it they've obviously people even the guy that built it has said there's no way that planes could have caused the tower to fall the way it did yeah well you got to remember when the towers were built uh, when they were designed was in the 1960s uh which was before computers as we know it 
as we know them. So they didn't really have the benefit of the computer modeling that we have now. So they had to do a lot of these calculations essentially by hand. Like they would they would draw these big diagrams and then they would you know put these little arrows and numbers on them and they would run through. You know they had some computers, but you know a lot of this stuff was done by hand still. Uh, so when they say they checked to see if a plane could hit the building, they were just doing basically back of the envelope calculations. They thought you know they, they were and they were reasonable calculations. They weren't they weren't unreasonable. They thought you know if the plane hits the building, it would probably take out. Uh, so many exterior columns and it will probably take out you know one or two interior columns but the building is designed in such a way that the load will be redistributed and the building would not collapse and that's exactly what happened the planes hit the buildings and the buildings barely moved I mean pretty much nothing happened when they hit the building like it swayed a few inches from one side to the other which you couldn't even see visually uh, and then it probably changed changed shape imperceptibly but what happened was the exterior columns were cut. Some core columns were possibly cut. But there was so much redundancy within the building that the loads that were carried by those columns were basically now carried by other columns because everything was tied together. Uh, and so the, the, the building did withstand the impact of the planes. And if other planes had hit the buildings in different positions, they probably would have remained standing for one or two more hits. So, um, obviously, going down the different route with the commission report, six out of ten um, commissioners believe that the commission report was set up to fail. What's your sort of take on that bit of knowledge there? That I, They listed the names on where the question came yeah. from, but I didn't bother taking the names down. I think what that meant was uh, they weren't going to put anybody in jail for it. Uh, really, there were probably instances in the response to 9-11 and in events leading up to it. So they weren't able to point fingers and say this person is to blame for, you know, the, the slow response of the fighters or this person was to blame for uh, all the firemen dying because they were sent into the building when they shouldn't have been sent in. So they weren't able to uh, give an entirely honest account of the events of the day because people didn't want to be pointing fingers at people. They didn't want to say, you know, the, the fire chief uh, should uh, should be sacked because, you know, so many people died on his watch. Uh, I think it's things like that. They, they and, and also, you know, obviously the 9-11 Commission looked into the much deeper background, like who was responsible for it, who financed it, and, uh, you know, how did it actually happen? Uh, and I think there may well have been things like warnings that were not acted upon, uh, both by uh, at the highest level by the president. You know, the president had been warned that bin Laden was going to attack, but also uh, the intelligence services uh, had some tabs on these guys who had come into the country and some suspicions about them, but they didn't catch them. And in some cases. Uh, uh, you know, they they basically could have stopped the attacks had they done something better, and I think that's the type of thing that the commission report uh, might have been hobbled over somewhat. They weren't allowed to look into that thing so much because the powers that be didn't want to point fingers and blame people. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was underfunded as well. 
Yeah, I don't know if it was underfunded. Uh, did, I'm not sure if they actually were lacking in funds. It, I think people think it's underfunded because it seems like a small amount of money. Uh, but this is essentially just the money for writing the report. Yeah. The actual investigation was done uh, by the FBI. Uh, and the FBI, at one point, had uh, over half of their agents working just on, um, they call it the Pentabomb uh, <laughs> investigation. Uh, and so the, the, the budget of the FBI is uh, it's in the billions of dollars. And half of that went to the inve investigating the 9-11. So the fact that the, the commission itself yeah, only had like whatever it was, $10 million, you know, it doesn't really speak to the actual cost of the investigation, which was, you know, essentially in the billions of dollars. We're um, coming up to the hour mark. Are you able to overrun or do you need to go? Because I was thinking Pentagon talk and a couple of other things. Yeah, I, I could do like another 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So where were we? Uh, we just discussed the commission report. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the Pentagon, what's your take on that? Because obviously you had that guy come out and say $2.3 trillion couldn't be accounted for and then right. that part of the building was struck um, where they kept the papers from the conspiracy mind. I don't know 100% whether it was. And also the footage mm -hmm. of like the plane hitting, there's never been, to my knowledge, videos released of the actual plane going mm -hmm. Well, I think a plane hit the building, and I think you know the reason you can tell that is just basically looking at the damage that was done to the building. Uh, people often point to the size of the impact hole. Uh, now, what they're often pointing to, there's two things that they point to which are misleading. One of them is a hole on the inside of the building, on the whether one of the the landing gear or something came out on the other side, basically on the interior ring. Uh, some people point to that and say, oh, look at how small this hole is. That's kind of an obscure thing. Most people, when they point to the hole and say it's too small, they're actually pointing to the hole on the second floor. Um, you know, there's the ground floor and then the second floor. Uh, and the, the ground floor hole is actually a lot wider than that, but you can't see it because of the smoke. You can actually see bits of it in individual photographs, and you can take those individual photographs, and you can take that bit of this, that bit of that, and you can look at where the columns are, and you can see it is actually wide enough to encompass the width of the plane up to and including the engines. Uh, and the actual hole that people point to as being too small is the hole that was made by the, the tail of the plane, the vertical stabilizer at the back of the plane. Mm took out like a, a relatively small hole in the middle. But underneath that, there's the hole made by the wings of the plane. But then what happens is, you know, there's a big fire, they're fighting the fire, and then part of the building collapses, uh, so, which kind of covers up the hole uh, on the outside. You can't see exactly what happened. But you can still see uh, on either side of that area where the wings hit uh, the exterior columns. And there's these very clear... Uh, damage areas on these exterior columns where this concrete has been smashed off uh, and the rebar has been exposed uh, and it's you know it's all in a line the plane was slightly tilted to the left when it hit the building uh, and you can see it all the way from one end to the other and then when you look inside the building you know, which you, you, know, you can only do by reading the actual uh, the, the various reports you can see the patterns of where it hit individual 
uh, columns as it proceeded through the building that you know, obviously it broke up almost immediately when it uh, when it hit the building. But you know, the parts of the plane kept going if they didn't hit something, and then they hit other things like other columns. And you see columns being destroyed or columns with damage area, and it's all entirely consistent with a plane hitting the building. Why was there like the only thing like a lot of conspiracy theorists would say, myself even included on that, is like if a plane hit, just show the footage. Do you know what I mean? It's like why yeah. why did they confiscate yeah. all this footage? And they I understand didn't, I mean I think they didn't it was like confiscate 84. it exactly. Yeah, there was there was eighty four, I think, or whatever it was, like a large number of, of tapes of security uh, footage but basically they took all these tapes they reviewed them all and they found that none of them showed the impact now people say oh you know there's so many cameras why wouldn't it show the impact i mean the reason is that the majority of video cameras don't point up in the sky they point down at the ground if you think of like security footage you know you think of it as like a camera above somebody's door looking at the entranceway you know, the security cameras of the Pentagon are not like scanning the skies uh, for incoming planes. They're looking to see if someone's walking over the, the lawn or looking to see if someone's going in a particular door or, or not. Uh, so it's not that surprising that, you know, the, there's no real footage of uh, uh, the planes hitting. There's two pieces of footage which you've probably seen. There's the one, uh, there's a, a gate, you know, not a toll gate, but, you know, a, a parking area gate. Uh, and that's just you know, kind of like a very low, well, it's relatively low frame rate. So you just see, you know, bam, bam, and then the explosion. Yeah. But if you analyze that video, you can actually make out the plane and the smoke coming from uh, one of the engines of the plane, because um, uh, one of the engines actually hit one of the light poles on the way in and the, uh, damaged the engine. So it immediately started spewing smoke out. Which sounds amazing, but you know, jet engines are going very, very fast. So the instant something goes in, it comes out the other end. Uh, but you can actually see that smoke, and you can see the vague outline of the plane. It's obviously not very clear at all. Uh, but it's entirely consistent with you know everything else. It all matches. Mm. And then there's some there's some other video from uh, on the other side of the freeway, uh, the motorway. Uh, there's uh, from an, uh, like a, a gas station over there, and you I uh, think you just you 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 can barely make out like a couple of pixels or so of the uh, plane on the other side. But, you know, you look, you look at that footage, security camera footage is pretty crap back in 2001. It's still crap you know, it's all recording to, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a lot better now because yeah, everyone's getting is these HD cameras recording to... Uh, yeah, but still, like, you know, people get cheap cameras and they're recording to, uh, to VHS uh, to, to video. Yeah. The reason why I say her scrap is because uh, we had something called, it's just been cancelled off, off TV, but Crime Watch in the UK, it was like a show mm. been going for forever. And yeah, I remember it. Even like a couple of years ago, they'd like release footage of a burglary or something and cameras down the street and it was always just some grainy faced thing. And I'd be like, the technology nowadays and we still can't fucking identify criminals. Yeah, that's the thing, though. If they if they had the good cameras, then it wouldn't be on TV because they would have caught the guy. Yeah. So you're only going to see the crap footage. <laughs> uh, true. Yeah, but yeah, like back then, 2001. Uh, yeah, the security cameras in buildings around they were pointing down. They weren't pointing at the Pentagon. 
security cameras at the Pentagon were also pointing down because they were pointing at doorways and approaches, ground approaches. They weren't pointing at the sky. So they took all this footage. They didn't confiscate it exactly. They just took it and they looked at it and they said, like, well, nothing shows anything, you know, except for this one thing that shows some smoke. And then they uh, uh, didn't proceed any any more with that. Now, people like say, oh, they should release that footage. But, you know, that's footage that belongs to like the gas stations or whatever and it doesn't show anything so it's it's like since it doesn't actually show the impact there isn't actually a case for it being released but um, it's a little it's a little bit of a quandary though because like if they don't release it it makes people suspicious but they can't release it because it doesn't show anything but if they did release it, it people wouldn't be suspicious we'll just um fly on over to flight 93 hopefully you saw what i did uh, real 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 quickly let me just go yeah, over yeah, that 2.3 2.3 trillion dollars uh, was reported uh, missing uh, the day before 9/11 by Donald Rumsfeld, the Secretary of Defense at the time. Except it, it wasn't actually reported missing. Uh, he said there's 2.4, trillion dollars in transactions that we can't account for. Um, what that meant was that the accounting wasn't up to code. Uh, they have a certain level of accounting that they need to do where they record everything and like justify everything. And the Pentagon had all these different computer systems that they use for accounting. So when one department bought something from another department to move money around, then the accounting systems weren't compatible. Uh, and what he was talking about, if you actually you listen to the entire speech that he gives, is, is it wants, wanting to upgrade the accounting systems of the Pentagon. And he said $2.3 trillion in transactions cannot be accounted for. doesn't actually mean that money is missing. And if you, fact, if, you, if you look at that in context, the entire budget for the entire U.S. military of that year was $0.6 trillion. Hmm. So you're talking about something that's four times the amount of the entire U.S. military budget. And that can't just simply go missing. And it didn't go missing. It was just uh, a, a very large number of transactions uh, that you know weren't properly properly accounted for, and they couldn't actually you know do their accounts uh, and have them certified uh, by account auditors. It's like if you wrote down every single financial transaction you do in a year, uh, like if you write down like the money you get in, then you write down when you put it into the bank, you write that down. Then when you take it out of the bank, you write that down. Uh, when you take out a loan, you write that down. When you pay back the loan, you write that down. When you use that money from the loan to buy something, you write that down. Uh, when you move it from one account to another, you write it down. If you buy something and then you sell it, you write that down. It doesn't mean, you know, the, the amount of things that you write down, if you add up all those totals, is going to be way more than the actual amount of money you spend in a year. Mm. And what he's saying is they didn't write it down in enough detail. It's not saying the money's missing. It's just saying they didn't they didn't write down in enough detail exactly what was going on, and you know, it covers multiple the same money multiple times because it's things like moving from one account to another, or opening up lines of credit or like agreements between departments. So the money was never missing. So, as a theory, that doesn't work. The problem is, it's kind of a difficult concept to get across to people. Because when he says things like $2.3 trillion cannot be accounted for, it sounds like $2.3 trillion is missing. Yeah. But it's not. You know, I was trying to explain it to you there in, in simple terms, but you know, it's difficult to get across to people. And so it's a very, very persistent conspiracy theory that there was actually something to it. But you know, it was, 
it was bigger than the entire United States budget, not just the military budget, the entire in the United States budget. I think it was almost like the entire gross domestic product of the United States for that year. It was an insane amount of money. Yeah, I mean, um, um, another thing that I just must have, uh, can't even get my words out. Another thing that um, has sort of been taken out of context, I guess, to sort of suit this conspiracy theory and pull people in to then following the YouTube trail, which is where a lot of people seem to source their information from. Um, the Flight 93 thing I was just going to mention, I'll make it the last point because I know you've got to shoot right. off, was um, about the phone calls being made. Um, yeah. And a guy, a Canadian guy, did a test um, and he took a, a small plane up. And basically, when he got to the altitude of 30,000 feet, there was a 0.0006% chance of making a phone call. So basically, they determined it yeah. possible. And then obviously, yeah. you've got the guy that phoned his mum and was like, Hey mum, it's John Smith or whatever. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. when you wouldn't really phone your mum saying that, but obviously when adrenaline is rushing and you're in panic, you can maybe do things like that. But yeah, yeah I think about it. with him, he was a businessman, and he you know, that's the way he announced himself when he made a business call, and he, you know he just basically made calls all the time, and he was very stressed out. And his mum uh, appeared on TV. Like there was a thing called Conspiracy Road Trip, uh, which was a BBC show. And they did a 9-11 thing and they took some 9-11 people and they interviewed, well, they didn't interview, but they went and met a whole bunch of people. And one of them was was that guy's mother. And they brought up that very point and she explained that he would say things like that. And she you know, she knew it was him. So, you know, obviously, like you could say she was in on the act. But, uh, yeah, after they talked to her, even the, the hardcore conspiracy theorists thought that it was actually him making that call. Although some of them thought he was making it from like a secret hangar somewhere under the desert, but you know, but yeah, the the cell phones were most of the calls were made from cell phones. I think all but two of the calls were made from the seatback uh, phones, the air phones, which you don't have in planes anymore. But they used to have these phones in the backs of seats, which you could use with a credit card for like you know twenty dollars a minute or something, uh, and they worked just fine. Uh, from 30,000 feet and that's what all the, the calls were made from and in fact if you go into detail you can look at the call logs and they say uh, you know which uh, which phone it was from and what, which seat it was there were a couple of calls made from cell phones but they were like right at uh, towards the end of the flight when the planes were at much lower altitude you know, obviously they were flying over the city at some point and uh, people made some calls just before they hit yeah well that makes sense like looking at it that way with marginal um you know only minimal cell phone calls uh whereas obviously a lot of people in the conspiracy theory world believe that um you know everyone was phoning off their cell phones from that distance or whatever um mm -hmm. but i massively appreciate you coming on do you want to advertise your book quick that you're planning on releasing yeah i'm writing a book called escaping the rabbit hole uh, you can find it on Amazon for pre-order, but it's not coming out till next September because I've still got to finish writing it. And it's basically about uh, how people get sucked into the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, which is partly what you were talking about earlier with people like you know watching watching too many YouTube videos is getting to be like you know the main way people get into conspiracies now. They get sucked down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos, and it's also about escaping the rabbit hole about how you get out of it once you get in. Uh, people have different different routes out of uh, different routes out of it, 
I forget my which pronunciation is American and which one isn't there. But <laughs> yeah, people have different ways out of it. And some of them get out of it by you know, looking at debunking videos. But most of it, it's uh, people kind of find something that they thought was right and they find out that they've been looking at it all wrong. Uh, like yeah, they might find that the Pentagon hole is actually a lot bigger than they thought it was, and then that starts them on a road out of the rabbit hole. So that's what I'm writing about. Ah, oh, cool. Um, massively appreciate you coming on. Uh, can I talk to you off camera? Is that okay for a quick sure. recap? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we're in this here. Cheers for coming on, dude.